A very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards living a better life. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational messages and transformational stories out into the world so others may benefit. Hello listeners and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I am joined by a gentleman called Rick Swanson and Rick is from the United States of America. Rick, an extremely warm welcome to you, sir. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to be here with you. And listeners, what uh, Rick and I spoke a little bit uh, about off here, we, we actually know each other. We're, we're co-directors of a, a certain organization called World Game Changes. And we thought it'd be very appropriate to talk about the more you give, the more you get. So very appropriate, interesting title, Rick. I think at this stage, it's over to you to, uh, to set us on our merry way. Well, thank you, Paul. I would say that uh, this little theme slash tagline slash technology, it's just, uh, it's a, it's something that's infused my life. And I want to bring it as a movement to the world. Because historically, in our society today, we seem to view those people that are generous, or we view these people as generous, like uh, people that work at nonprofits or teachers at schools or social workers or the like. They're, they're very generous people. We view them as very generous people. And we have a common theme among these types of people in that 99.9% of them don't make very much money. Uh, and then we have the view of on the other side of the scale, we have business people and salespeople that might make a lot of money, but then we view them as greedy. And I've done a little experimenting and talking with people that are super generous. And I have been working on a technology that would actually reward their generosity in in a monetary sense, that they would actually get paid for being generous and being kind and doing good things in the world. And Interestingly enough, initially, there's this hesitancy, the hesitancy of, oh, if I got paid for this, then it wouldn't be generous anymore. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be kind. And so I have to have a deeper conversation with them and and ask the questions, well, what would you do if you were well rewarded, like got paid ridiculous amounts of money for doing good in the world? And... Interestingly, their comments are, well, I would support another nonprofit or I would, I would help out a school or I would, I would do this amazing thing in the world that would help mankind, humankind uh, and, and or the, our planet or something that would just always be amazing. And I'm like, so why wouldn't I ask the question, why wouldn't you want money to do those good things in the world? And they sit and pause for a second because they don't really know. It's just this feeling that somehow accepting money makes their, their generosity not good. So, uh, but when they, they get that, oh, well, I could, the money I receive, I could actually do more good in the world. 
the light bulb goes on and they go, yeah, it actually would be great to make money or be paid or, or receive uh, funds from doing good in the world. And that's what I hope to teach the world that you can actually make more money from doing good in the world than from not doing good in the world. If you're just trying to make money, like you couldn't possibly hold a candlestick to the amount of money you could make if you were doing good in the world. And I've actually built a technology that's going to help that. And I hope to create a movement around the world to teach people that they can actually get more by giving more. There's a whole, oh blimey, Rick, we could take this in a whole um, host of different ways. I mean, what just listening to you speak there is this whole deservedness thing around, you know, what we're conditioned from an early age with these cliches like, you know, um, all rich people are crooks. Um, you know, they keep the working class down and, you know, money is the root of all evil and all this stuff that, uh, you know, we can, and I think most of the world, I think it's fair to say from my experience, has been indoctrinated with from a very, very early age. But nobody really says from an early age, right, do they, that actually money's only energy. It, it is nothing more or nothing less than what you make it to be. Would you say that's fair comment? It's 100% fair comment. I... I spent uh, two years of my life uh, in the Arizona desert being mentored to become a shaman. And uh, the, the easiest way to describe this uh, is kind of like, if you've seen the movie, The Matrix, like everything is just energy. They're, they're like even our, anything that you can even touch at the end of the day, at a cellular level, everything is just energy. Uh, it, it may manifest in forms like a desk or a chair um, or a car, but at the end of the day, if you get a, a high enough powered microscope, it's just atoms, uh, you know, moving very quickly, right? In, in different form. That's all it is. Same with our, our physical beings. We're just, we're just made up of energy and money is the same way. And here's the interesting thing about money. I, uh, very early in my life, I got a stockbroker's license because I was very interested in money. And what I learned was, A, the stock market is just legalized gambling because companies aren't worth what they're actually worth. Companies are worth what people think they're worth. And if they think it's worth something less the next day, you could lose a lot of money um, because it's our whole economy in the US is based upon perception, not based upon reality, because value of companies don't skyrocket in a week or two. It's not possible, right, from a physical accounting perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is possible if people are excited and enthused and, and passionate. Likewise, companies don't drop half their value in a day or a week, but they do if it's based upon pessimism or concern or doubt. So, it's all just energy. It's all just thought. So what we place in value and thought is what is the value. And so uh, working on this problem for a very long time, what I've figured out is that it's more important to be in the flow, in the flow of the universe, in the flow with God, however you view God, uh, this isn't a religious statement, uh, in the flow of money 
And to be in the flow of money doesn't mean that you're the end destination where the money stops flowing because if you're the end destination and money doesn't flow through you and with you, then it will stop flowing to you. So uh, know that the opportunity to recognize that money is energy is the key to you realizing that you are worthy and you deserve and the story can change. The stories that we were taught as children, whether through uh, family members who didn't have money or family members who viewed people who had money as not good uh, or, or religious doctrine or what have you, all of that was learned and you can learn that money is energy and that you can be in the flow and you can actually do good in the world with the money that flows through and with you. Mm. Couple of things there, Rick. Um, one of them, the first one, a little bit left field, it's a bit of um, <laughs> a moral conundrum that I like to throw into uh, to guests, towards guests when we're having this money related conversation. And it's, it's, you know, interesting you, you bring in a, uh, um, a reference to God there, because this one actually relates, Rick, to the, uh, the Good Samaritan parable. So it's this, who is deemed the greater? Somebody that only has got one dollar and gives you 50 cents, because they give you half of what they've got. In fact, they give you the whole dollar. In fact, you know what, Rick? They might even borrow, 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 <laughs> borrow. Um, they might even borrow ten dollars from somebody else to give what they don't have. And I'll come to that in a moment. So, who is the greater, or is the greater somebody that's a multi-billionaire and gives away, say, a million? Which is the greater? Moral conundrum. Well, I know the answer you're looking for is the person who gives the greater percentage of what he or she has or even doesn't have. Uh, but I will challenge your listeners to think about it from the third party's point of view. Um, and that is the answer comes from each of us in our, in our individual situations, mm. meaning that um, there's a, there's a book that I like to read uh, frequently, and it's called The Game of Life. And it was written in the early 1900s uh, by Florence Scoville Shin. And she approached her business in a way that was similar to this parable. That's why I bring it up. Mm. Uh, so she charged people for the assistance and help she gave. But she approached money as purely energy and not as the thing that we socially agree to money's value. So what I mean by that is, uh, as you say, it's energy, uh, it, the way it manifests is actually it's made with cotton and green ink in the US. And, and yet if, if there's a $20 bill, um, that $20 is only assigned a value based upon us socially agreeing to what that value of that $20 is. Mm. It's not actually real. It's not worth anything more than the cotton and green ink that it's printed on. So um, 
for her, the way she described it, she had someone that came to her and asked for help, but told her that he couldn't afford her services. She said, how much do you have? He said, I have seven cents. And she said, give me two of them. And that was payment in full. Mm. So along this principle, the moral principle of the ethical conundrum of who gave more, uh, it doesn't matter what the amount of money is. What matters is the thought, purpose, intention, value behind it and or between the two people that it is exchanged. Mm. Um because, and I'll give you and illustrate the point, if you uh, were about to lose your home and you needed whatever the, the, the wealthy person was going to get, let, let's say it was $10,000 to catch your mortgage up or you were going to lose your home and the poor person who only had a dollar was willing to give you 10 because they were going to borrow from someone else, it doesn't solve the problem you have at hand. So it's not to disregard the value of the person who gave more than they actually had to give. It just doesn't solve the problem of the person that, that's trying to solve it with money. So that's why I say it depends on the receiver and what the need is, um, which is a different answer that I'm sure you mostly get. But I wanted to throw in the Florence uh, Shins, um, Scova Shins uh, uh, example, because I think that that is absolutely true. When you don't have to have a required amount of money, then it is just a percentage of what you have. If like that should be good enough because it's the intention, it's the energy of money. Mm. Interesting, Rick, when you, when you offered the words um, as part of your, your talk there around, I am worthy. Now, isn't it interesting with money how that's a barometer in a lot of people's word, uh, worlds for saying I am worthy because I'm a millionaire or whatever the scenario is. And it's kind of what I call the intangible versus the tangible. So when we're told from an early age, and if I can be allowed to speak from personal experience here, listeners, because I've mentioned this, you know, with various guests in various contexts. So, you know, my kind of backstory. Um, I'm not worthy. You know, I'm not worthy. You're nothing, boy. And all that kind of stuff that I was fed that I actually come to believe. So there are obviously a lot of people in the world that have that, that negative experience from an early age to the point where you believe you're not worthy. And then the tangibles in life, the things you can touch, like money, oh, look at me, I'm a millionaire, actually can be, as I say, a barometer for worthiness. But do you see that, Rick, from your own very compassionate point of view as a, almost as a mask? Maybe I'm laying this on a bit thick, but as, a, as an external way of hiding what's really mattering underneath, that intangible of, actually, I might not have a Rolls Royce or a Cadillac or be a multi-billionaire or whatever. But you know what? I'm rich inside. And that intangible that you can't touch is more important. Any thoughts around that, Rick? Well, I'm sure your listeners, uh, having heard your backstory, will, will concur. And uh, 
My simple answer is I concur as well. Uh, I'll just add a few anecdotal things. Um, when I, because I got to where I am through, through being humbled. And my humbling started with losing eight figures in one day. And that was after I started uh, from a blue collar roots with no college degree and built it up to eight figures. Uh, so I will tell you early on in my journey, I was strangely in line at, uh, at like a Costco or a warehouse kind of um, wholesale place where consumers would go and purchase things in bulk uh, at a discounted price. And while I was in line, an older gentleman was behind me. And I don't know why he said this to me. I like, I, I sometimes wonder if I dreamed it or if he was an angel or something because there was absolutely no reason for this conversation. But he said, you know, I remember the first day I became a millionaire and I bought myself a Cadillac, which back in the day, that was the thing in his generation to, to buy. He was driving down the El Camino Real, which is a main street in, in uh, San Jose, Sunnyvale, Cupertino. It's a very long, 26 mile long street or something. And, um, he said he was driving down the street as a millionaire in his brand new Cadillac. And what he remember, what, what he realized was he was so proud that he was a millionaire, but he realized no one around knew or cared. And it was interesting how that still, that message some 35 years later, still I can hear it like I was there in line with him. And uh, at, because at that point in time, I hadn't yet made money and I really wanted to make money. And uh, I really wanted to be a millionaire. And, uh, but that message stuck with me because as I passed millionaire status and, and got to be worth eight figures and um, there were several things that occurred in my journey. Number one, he was right. Nobody could care less. Like, like, the money itself isn't really the destination, even though I thought it was when I was younger. Or the things aren't the destination. I actually owned, you know, this beautiful million dollar home and, and expensive cars and I didn't have one, I had two boats. And the amazing thing is, and the funny thing is, is that I never used either one of my boats. I just handed them out to friends and, and uh, you know, clients and things like that for them to use because I never used them, um, which, which got to be almost hysterical, but there is a law of use. There's a law of reciprocity. There's a law of use. If you just acquire things for them to sit there and you're not actually using them, the universe finds a way to take it all away. And I'm here to tell you that that's not a whole lot of fun. I've had to go through an amazing crucible of fire in order to get where I am. So the things that I'm teaching and or expressing, I don't expect everybody to get where they are in their journey because sometimes you have to have a few difficult experiences to actually appreciate the lessons that I'm trying to share about doing good in the world and being well rewarded. But 
when you receive the money, it isn't out of greed. It's out of what more good can I do? Because money will find you if that's your intention. And if you're open to receiving money, like you have to have both of those things in place. And if you do, oh my goodness, the goodness that we can do in the world is beyond amazing. Because money isn't what we think it is. It is energy. And you can be in the flow of money and being continued to do more good in the world and more money comes to you. It's like, a, would you rather have a million dollars or would you rather have uh, uh, $50,000 per month coming to you every month? And the answer is and should be the $50,000 a month because a million dollars will disappear it, at the end of the day, if you're spending uh, more than the interest, you're going to eat into the principal and it'll be gone. But if you're in the flow of money and it continues to come to you month after month after month after month, sure, you can stock away some for savings for retirement. That's not a bad thing, but keep the money flowing, keep mm -hmm. it flowing, and then you stay in the flow and keep doing good in the world. And more money will find you. Like there will become so many uh, dollars that find you that that you'll have to actually work to figure out where to put it next. So, anyway, sorry to rant there, but uh, I, I love this conversation. And I'm, I'm passionate about the topic. Gives a whole new, different meaning to that uh, that adage, Rick. Does it not? What you've just said there: cash flow is king. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> really? what it is, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, um, it, it's interesting. If you can have enough of a um, enough of amount of money that you can live just off of the interest, like that's that's wonderful. Um, but if you don't have that, then the number one thing is is the cash flow. And because you don't control how much interest you get, it's going to always be cash flow that you want. Because think about it, a uh, million dollars at 5% interest is only going to get you 50,000 a year, not 50,000 a month. Mm. So it just opens your eyes really quickly. Oh, wow, I didn't realize that $50,000 a month is actually worth a lot more than a million dollars. A lot more, like 10 times more. So, yeah, it's, it's actually important to understand cash flow is king. I don't know what the stats are in the, uh, in the States, Rick, certainly in the UK. Um, and I'm a little off the pulse with this, but I know up until sort of 18 months ago, um, 67, that's two thirds of businesses failed because of that one thing, cash flow. I mean, I know that's slightly different to what we're talking about. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe it just it's as simple as that. Cash flow is king or queen. Let's not be gender specific here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so there's in the U.S. the uh, nobody has the real number, but I've I've heard up to ninety five percent of small businesses fail, which within five years of of being their inception, which makes sense because with the amount of new businesses being created, uh, if if businesses weren't failing before, um, there wouldn't be room for the new businesses. So um, so, and, and there's, there's 20 or 50 reasons why people say undercapitalized and this and that and the other thing. And I always say, there's only one reason a business fails, not enough customers. Mm. 
which translates to cash flow, right? Yeah. Because if you had customers, if you had plenty of customers, you know, the chances of you going out of business are infinitesimally small. It's not that you couldn't, you could still fail, but, but that would solve like 98% of business problems if they had enough customers, which just happens to be, you know, one of the things that, that I'm trying to solve within the technology I'm created at 1010 is, is helping nonprofits, helping local businesses, helping consumers, all be in the flow of money that already occurs anyway. I'm just putting them in the flow so they can all participate in that flow. Um, not having to come up with extra money, just being in the flow of money that exists today. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. I, I said something at the top of this conversation, Rick. You can, well, I alluded to it. You cannot give what you do not have. And I think I gave the example of, you know, borrowing 10 pounds when, uh, you know, to give it to, I think I used it in the context of the Good Samaritan parable. Yep. What, can, can, the thing is, Rick, can we give what we don't have? I mean, I can justify um, that I did, but can we really give what we do not have? What's your thoughts around that, that cliche? That cliche is built from the social agreement that currently exists. What I mean by that is if you have a constrained box into the, the exact scenario that you created uh, uh, and that is, is the conundrum that has been presented and is the justification for much of uh, our view of, of the financial world and money, but I'm changing the conversation because the old system is broken. It's not built for generosity because you can be generous without money. It's not required. And everybody knows that, but somehow or another, because money wasn't involved with their generosity, they don't think that money should come back to them. And that's the part that's broken. And the reason for that is, is because the, the, I, th I believe the religious doctrine of money is the root of all evil. Well, money isn't the root of all evil. Because as <laughs> I'll give an example from Tommy Hopkins. Uh, I was at a, a, a sales seminar when I was in my early 20s. And he said, you know, money doesn't make you happy or sad. Most everybody agrees with that. They've learned that or they've heard it. Um, but then he said, but if you're going to be sad, wouldn't it be better to be sad and rich than sad and poor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's a little humorous, but, 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 you know, there is some truth to that, but I'll, I'm going to switch his conversation around. And that is money doesn't make you bad. You're either going to do good things in the world or you're not. Money just makes it a lot easier to do more good. Money is not going to change who you are. It's going to reveal who you are. Mm. We're like transformers, Rick, are we not, in terms of we change energies. So we have something given to us called money and we can transform that 
uh, we can be the medium that's called the transformer to turn that into good. We're, 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 that's what we are, isn't it? We're transformers. That's a that's an interesting analogy. I like it. Mm. Well, as we come towards a close, Rick, I want to ask you one big question at the end. So uh, this is where the drum roll normally kicks in, as listeners all know. But just part that thought for a moment. I want to invite you in at this moment, Rick, if I may, to ask you to share your contact details so that listeners uh, can find out more about you, uh, the business you do, your philosophy, which I've got the benefit and the privilege of, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, it really is, listeners, it's fascinating. You know, in this 30 minutes, we've only just, we haven't even scratched the surface. Um, but anyway, that's that's by the by. So, Rick, what are, what are your best contact uh, details for the show notes? Sure. Uh, so I am the founder and CEO of a company called Ten, spelled out T-E-N, then the number 10. And you can reach... Uh, my website at 1010.app, so T-E-N, the number 10.app, and uh, you can find out more about me there. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can simply email me at rick at 1010.app. Superb. So my question, my final question then to you, Rick, is this. So I want you to imagine that we're in a, we've just met in a hotel reception or and we're both getting in the elevator to go up to the first floor, which will take no more than 30 seconds. So we're having this kind of, you know, this nice chat and it's like, okay, Rick, this has been fascinating. Um, tell me, my friend, what would be your one message to the world? You know, because you've fascinated me with your dialogue and your insights and your shares. I'll probably never ever see you again. So just leave me with one powerful legacy creating message for you, Rick. What would that be? You become what you think you are. And watch your language so that you start saying, I am in the positive of what you want to be. And watch your language so that you say, I used to be whatever this thing that you have been claiming that you no longer want to own. The power of words, listeners, the power of words. Maybe, Rick, just maybe we might reconvene on another podcast and dive into that uh, that power of words. Rick, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful being with you, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. And so there we have it, listeners. Rick Swanson from United States of America. And all that remains now, I think you know what I want to say, listeners, is this. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the game's ever-changing. How will you master it?